Hello, and welcome to the Her and Him podcast. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get is a podcast. Well, we are back here in the podcast room of the Her and Him World Headquarters for the second time today. Always say in the world headquarters. It, we are an international organization okay. headquartered in beautiful, historic Corona, California. You just really honed in your marketing skills, haven't you? Hey, you got to have a good catchphrase for yeah everything. For everything. Yes, this is our second recording today. <laughs> Which means that we are doing, for the first time, what we always swore to do, which was record ahead. Yeah. We did it. I mean, it took 36 episodes, but here we are. We're crossing that dream off of our dream list. Right, and probably what will happen is then we'll get behind, which means we'll be back no. in real time in no time. No, we can't get behind. <laughs> we cannot let it happen. Well, see, that's where you're wrong. We can get behind. Like, it's highly possible. Yeah, it's very possible, especially if it were dependent <laughs> upon me. <laughs> it, it's, that's true. I had to force you. We did one at nap time, and now we're doing one at bedtime. I had to twist your arm a little bit to record He's, the second one today. He is just so bossy, you know? He forgets that I'm raising two babies. I mean, you're <laughs> helping, but I'm up every few hours nursing. So it's just a lot. <laughs> well, on behalf of our global audience, I would like to thank you for being here today for the second time. Thank you. I'm happy to be on your show, Dale Chamberlain. <laughs> thank you for allowing me to be part of your podcast. <laughs> Thanks you, for letting me be the her to your him. You welcome. You welcome. Oh, what would a him be without a beautiful her like you? Oh, that's it. I'm just here for my looks. Wow. I knew it this whole time. I know. It should have been a video podcast. It's really not getting the full potential here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways. Anyways, the previous episode that we recorded, it got super dark super quick. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about sex scandals, insurrections, white nationalism, and losing your faith. And that was a really good conversation. I felt like it was an important <laughs> conversation. <laughs> it was good. It was good. There's it was a, a good really, conversation. I liked it. Yeah. It was, a, it was really a, in no it. way a downer to the day. <laughs> but today on this episode, what we'd like to do is go in the exact opposite direction. Instead of talking about things that are really dark and make people question their faith in the Christian movement, we want to talk about some fun stuff that will really strengthen our faith in our Christian beliefs. And we're going to do a callback. See in the biz, the showbiz, they call this a callback. Oh, and you're in the showbiz. Hey, it's showbiz, baby. <laughs> I can't with you today. <laughs> At the end of I last episode, <laughs> I mentioned something. Uh, about how I could never walk away from my faith because I'm convinced by the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. And I said, and that's a whole nother podcast. Well, I'm yeah. going to cash in on that one phrase exactly <laughs> one episode later, and I'm going to turn it into a whole nother episode that we are going to do right now. And today we are going to talk about apologetics. What are apologetics? Well, I'm, I'm so sorry. happy. You're sorry? Apologetics, apologies. Oh, no. 
Oh, that's not. That's not what we're talking about. Oh, okay, I need to revise my notes then, real quick. Hang yeah, on. you go, and I'll revise my okay, notes. Okay, hurry up. I knew it was good that I'm here. I knew that you needed the her to your him. <laughs> You're welcome. The term apologetics, <laughs> which is what we're going to be talking about today, actually comes from the Greek word apologia, which simply means to make a defense. I always feel like it makes us sound so smart when we tell them what the Greek word was, and it's just a cognate for what right. the English word is. Apologia. Apologetics. Do you see the connection? It's there. It there. It's, it's right there. It's thin, but you can see it. <laughs> Night recording is not good for us. We're getting real <laughs> loopy. Uh, so the basically apologetics is defending your faith. So if anyone you know makes a charge against our Christian faith, our apologetics are making a defense for our faith. Which I feel like people make charges against my faith way less often than Christian movies would seem to indicate. Have you noticed that? Yeah. However, this is very important. Well, what we're because this is the the bedrock of what we believe. Yeah, what we're specifically talking about today is not apologetics as a whole. There's a very specific topic within apologetics that we're going to be talking about. Right, because apologetics is like this crazy a, big field. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, books, seminary classes, entire podcasts where every episode is dedicated to apologetics, defending the faith, conferences. Mm-hmm. The whole thing. There's so much to learn. There's more to tell you than I have knowledge of or the time to tell you. So we want to zero in on one particular question because I feel like it's the most important question. Mm-hmm. And once you get this question, all the other dominoes start to fall. Yeah. And this question, again, came out of Dale's very strongly, passionately <laughs> phrased comment in our last episode about the evidence of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Because if he rose from the dead, then he is who he says he is. And so this is the most important question to me because everything else hinges on it. Because I got this quote from Andy Stanley who said, if a guy predicts his own death and resurrection and he pulls it off, you should probably go with whatever that guy says. Yeah, and in regards to what Jesus actually says, he says he's the son of God. And during the time of Jesus' ministry, this was a huge claim. In the same way, if someone came today and said they were the son of God, like that's a real big claim. It's not something you just brush off like, oh yeah, cool. Uh, But Jesus said he is the son of God. He is the Messiah and that our sins are forgiven if we repent and turn to him. And he said he's coming back. So these are the things that Jesus has proclaimed about himself of who he is and and the work he's going to do. And so we have to know, is it true? Did he really die and rise again? And how do we know that outside of just believing it because we heard it on a sermon or we read it in scripture? And of course, what we read in scripture is truth but this is a this is a really big claim, and so it is important as we desire to defend our faith because this is a question a lot of people are going to throw at us. Really, your Jesus died and he rose again. Okay, how do you even know that? Right. Oh. Well, we at least know that he died because everybody dies eventually. Yes. Well, yes, but that goes 
into what we're going to explain later, how historically. Yes. Yeah. So to answer this question. Some people might not even know that. Right. Yeah. That is an important piece that lays the groundwork for the whole conversation. And so how do we know that Jesus really rose from the dead? It's important to start with everything that we agree on. So there are a certain number of facts that every ancient historian, whether they're a biblical scholar or they're an atheistic historian of ancient cultures, they would agree on these facts, regardless of their faith, because they look at history, they look at historical documentation, they look at evidence. These are the things that they would all affirm. One is that Jesus of Nazareth was a historically real man who lived in the first century in Israel and who amassed followers by his teaching. So, so we, he wasn't a made-up person. No, and there's uh, like and first there's century evidence of that. First century uh, historian Josephus attests to yes. him. Um, the New Testament and Josephus doc- is not a Christian, right? The New Testament documents are themselves historical records, but there are other historical records, and, and there's enough there to more than reasonably assume that Jesus was a real person, insofar as you can know that anyone in history was a real person. <laughs> I mean, that's a good point. Like we don't have any photographs of George Washington, no, but we're pretty sure he's a real person because yeah. the historical records are there. It's on the level of something like that. We know Julius Caesar was a real person mm-hmm. because we have the records to prove it. Yeah, And so we know that Jesus was a real man in the first century who lived in Israel, who amassed a following. Number two, we know that Jesus was crucified by the order of Pontius Pilate at the request of politically uh, influential members of the Jewish community in Jerusalem. We know that this happened around 33, 30 to 35 AD, somewhere in that neighborhood. We know that immediately after Jesus was crucified, his Jewish followers claimed that he rose from the dead. And this claim served as a basis upon which they formed a Jewish sect centered around the teaching of Jesus. It started as this Jewish movement, and Mm. this is what eventually became Christianity. And this final fact is, despite persecution, the movement of Jesus followers grew to include non-Jewish members that went on to become one of the largest and most influential religions in the world, which is Christianity. So regardless of whether you are a Christian, you are an atheist, if you are a self-respecting academic, these are the facts that you will and must affirm. Right. So based on those facts, there's a number of theories as to explain those facts. Yeah, because we have this historical data that whether you're Christian or non-Christian, this is the evidence that we have of the life of Jesus um, in these respects. And so there are different ways that people try and explain that historical data And we're going to go through the six possible explanations for the supposed, according to some, (laughs) resurrection of Jesus. And so one of the first ones, which I've probably heard this one more than the other five, and this is that the apostles were lying, (laughs) which is not too far-fetched to assume, hey, these were people that were really big fans of Jesus. Of course they lied. <laughs> hey, Jesus, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> huge fan, bro. 
Well, I mean, they were part of this ongoing movement. And I've heard people say, like, to save face of the fact that they dedicated their whole lives to this movement, they just lied about Mm. Jesus's resurrection because he claimed he was going to come back from the dead and he died and that was clear to everybody, but he didn't really resurrect. So in order to save face, in order to keep that movement going, the apostles just decided to lie. And that, that sounds like a good story, but it begins to fall apart when you consider that there was no motive to do that other than, some obscure claim that they were saving face. I mean, it's three years of their lives they were following this guy. It's not that hard to pivot. (laughs) That's a good point. And they didn't have anything to gain by holding on to this lie. And they actually had everything Everything to to lose. lose. Yeah. Um, Many of them were killed because of the claim that Jesus resurrected. And so a lot of the people during the time of Jesus's resurrection, who saw it firsthand, lost their lives because of this. And that seems really stupid to lie about something for the sake of saving face and then be killed for it. Right. Like, I'm going to save my life before I save face. (laughs) Right. And so it just doesn't add up to suggest that the apostles were lying one, yeah, just because they didn't have anything to gain from lying about this. And any any conspiracy that you hear about, there's always some benefit. There's always something for that person to benefit from. And the apostles had, again, everything to lose and nothing by worldly terms to benefit from lying about this. Yeah, and every one of those who was a firsthand witness was tortured at some point, and most of them were killed. And we have no record of any of them ever uh, renouncing what they had previously said. Mm-hmm. And if there was one of them that did, you, you better believe we would have that story recorded somewhere. That would be really big news. Right. Another, I guess, more charitable version of the apostles were lying is goes a little something like this. Well, the apostles, they didn't actually believe that Jesus physically rose from the grave They just believe that, like, you know, his spirit lives on with us. And so, like, they were preaching that. And then after, like, three, four, five generations, people just kind of made this mental leap that that Jesus actually physically rose from the dead. And then somehow it got morphed over time. And then all of a sudden, you know, a thousand years later, we are affirming that Jesus literally rose from the dead when that wasn't whatever happened and no one ever claimed it was. That one falls apart like immediately because it's completely ahistorical because we have accounts of Jesus's followers being tortured and murdered for claiming that Jesus rose from the dead in that first generation. In the first century, they were persecuted for holding this belief. They they weren't persecuted for holding the belief that Jesus's spirit lives on. Right. They were persecuted for the belief that Jesus actually bodily physically rose from the dead and because he rose from the dead he was lord so that one falls apart even more quickly than they were just lying yeah and the third one is this one is really funny to me uh because i feel like it's just it's really a stretch um and it's like an snl skit yeah the other belief is that everyone was just looking in the wrong tomb i mean it's possible like jesus <laughs> 
Jesus was still dead. It's just everyone forgot which tomb it was, and they all just looked in the wrong place. But (laughs) there's so many issues with this one, not only from the accounts that we have in Scripture of the people who went to the tomb to visit it, but also from the Roman guards and other Roman leaders who you would have accounts of there being no body in the tomb that they put the body in. I mean, yeah, it means there's Roman centurions guarding the wrong tomb. <laughs> like, how incompetent do you think they are? And all of the the Jewish people who had a vested interest in him being murdered, they were all looking in the wrong tomb. And Jesus' own mother was looking in the wrong tomb. And literally everybody couldn't figure out where they buried this guy. They're just running around, like, all thumbs, like, not being able to figure out. Like, it was, it was on Friday. And they're yeah. coming back on Sunday. Yeah. They got that lost that they can't remember where the tomb is. And literally no one ever figured it out. And they never worry about like, oh, the tomb's over here. We're looking <laughs> in the wrong spot. Yeah. Like that, it just, it's highly implausible that that is the case. Right, because within the community, this was a really high profile crucifixion. Right. And there were Jewish leaders who wanted this to happen. There were followers of Jesus who were certainly devastated that this happened, obviously his own family. And then you had Roman guards who were assigned to stand watch over this tomb because of the claims that were being made that Jesus was going to rise again. And so all of these people who all have different reasons for being aware of what's happening and who were involved in details, like they weren't all going to benefit from this. A lot of them wanted Jesus dead and wanted to prove that he wasn't going to rise again. So to suggest that they just looked in the wrong tomb is, it's actually an insult on everyone who was involved. Right. Like their intelligence. Like they're, they're just not smart enough to remember what tomb Jesus was in. Yeah. And it's also kind of like this bias that like, because people lived hundreds or thousands of years before us that they, they weren't were, smart they were dumber than us oh. well. so it strains credulity at best mm. and at worst it insults the intelligence of everybody living in the frill crescent in <laughs> the first century yeah. yeah okay the next one it's a little bit better than this one and it is that Jesus' body wasn't in the wrong tomb or in some tomb that they couldn't find but that Jesus' body was actually stolen And that's why a body was never produced. And again, this is, I mean, possible, but it's improbable due to, like we said at the outset, lack of motive on the part of the apostles. Whether they stand to gain from the whole charade, why would they they die for such a falsehood? And also, the the resurrection could have easily been debunked if somebody would have just produced a body. But we said, someone just would have said, here is the corpse. Mm-hmm. This whole story would have died where it stood. But we have no account of that happening, even though the Jewish people would have wanted that. The, not the Jewish people. The, the Jewish leaders of the Sanhedrin yeah. would have wanted that. And... Uh, the Romans. I, th- I think the I Romans mean, at, at They probably point, didn't... They couldn't care less, really. Yeah, but I imagine for the sake of the uprise that was happening, it would have been in their interest to have found a body. That's true. Yeah. Because then this whole thing goes away. Because they, that they was the whole, that was the whole reason that Jesus was crucified. Wasn't because the Romans cared either way. 
it was because of what was happening within the Jewish communities and their, the Jewish leaders calling for Jesus to be crucified. So I imagine in the same, in the same vein, they would have wanted to find a body because of the uprising among the Jewish leaders again. Yeah, and I think w- once you start pressing people, once you start putting them in jail, once you start beating them, once you start torturing them, once you start murdering them, somebody's going to talk and somebody's going to tell you where the body is buried, literally. And yeah. that never, ever happened. And so it it just is not very likely mm-hmm. that the body was stolen. This next one is a little bit optimistic about how Roman crucifixion worked. And this is a theory that says that Jesus never actually died. Well, everyone has to die. Well, I mean, he he would have to have died at (laughs) at some point. But he didn't die on the cross. Mm -hmm. He didn't die that weekend. This is called a swoon theory, that he just swooned. (laughs) (laughs) And even the word swoon is weird. Like, I just think of, like, the Beatles and then, like, like the crowd of like women that just like swoon. <laughs> they just faint. From from looking just at the Beatles. Fall they, he, over. Yeah, he just swooned. <laughs> and that they put <laughs> Your hand gesture is swooned, yeah. Damsel really, in distress. It's really killing me. And that they pulled him off the cross. They stuck him in a tomb. He woke up that night and he said, Oh boy, how lucky am I? And he pushed the stone out from in front of his tomb. He perform some Muay Thai on the Roman centurions, the battle-hardened warriors that were guarding his tomb, and then he just slinked off into the night trail of blood behind him. <laughs> and then on Sunday morning, he he said, Behold, I'm alive. And people were like, Oh, wow, Like you don't look like you're half dead. Even this though sounds he as been. believable as all the stunts in the Fast and Furious movies. That's how believable this swoon theory is. Right. Like when they're they're driving a car through buildings from, from one skyscraper <laughs> onto the floor of another skyscraper. And the car middle. is in like immaculate shape still and no one's injured and the car made it from one building to the other. My favorite thing is when they press the little nitrous button and then like there's just like lines that go across the screen and then they just throw their head against the headrests. <laughs> That is like Academy Award winning acting right <laughs> Those there. Those were the first few movies. It got better after that. It, it got better or it, it got... It wasn't as... I mean, in regards to lines going across the Because I'm pretty sure like once you get like to like movie graphics. seven, like they're jumping cars out of planes. They are. I'm sure there's going to be another one. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's coming out soon. Oh, really? Yeah. Fast nine or something. Oh, gosh. But anyways, <laughs> so this theory, as you might imagine, it betrays a fully orbed understanding of Roman crucifixions and really underappreciates how skilled Romans were at killing people and like really killing them dead. Like they were masters at this. Well, they were masters at crucifixion. Well, they are masters at all manner of beating the snot out of people. And really, when you think about what happened, Jesus was flogged. He was whipped with these whips that were just gnarly. You they could, had like broken glass and bones sewed into the ends of the leather mm-hmm. of the whip. And so it would catch the skin as they were whipping them and pull the skin off. Yeah. And we're talking, it goes into your muscle right down to the bone. Yeah, You could get, you know, the 40 lashes that Jesus got 
and succumb to your injuries then and there from that. Right. Like and just, many did. Yeah, like you just Many died. never made it to the crucifixion part. Right. And then he's nailed to a cross where he's there uh, until he suffocates. And then, for good measure, they run a spear through his side just to make sure that he's dead. Then they put him in a tomb. They put a heavy stone in front of that tomb. And they put guards there. Now, and if by some miracle... He's still alive at that point. He's probably going to die in there. You mean he's not going to be strong enough to then move this heavy stone that is usually on an incline and then they roll it down from the hill, roll it down into the front of the tomb because it's a really large, heavy stone. So from all of this, he's not going to have the strength then he's not going to be able to fight off guards that are trained in battle. And Jesus was not. And they're going to hear him coming, right? Like, and they... <laughs> <laughs> that too. Like they, like they're just going to they be sitting sleeping. there like waiting for him to finally like, ah, I'm free. And then they spear him and he's dead anyways. Like there's just no possible way that he survived yeah. the weekend. I mean, I've seen a lot of like plays around Easter time where, you know, Jesus is in a tomb and then he just like bust open the doors and this is like it's like that here (laughs) when i was a kid our church did uh this uh musical called he lives and it was like this uh it's like a styrofoam paper mache stone and it was like on a pulley system it was actually and so like the light would turn on and the the stone would roll away (laughs) (laughs) oh but you could tell it's like yeah. Weightless. <laughs> no, we actually had one where it was, I'm sure it was multiple pieces. And so then whoever was playing Jesus would actually like push it and oh. it would just break it. Oh, he like would punch little, through? Yeah, he would punch through like. A roundhouse kick it like Chuck Norris? <laughs> Jesus, the superhero. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's way cooler. I mean, the, the lighting and the music was really, I mean, sound effects these days. All right. So it's not likely that Jesus survived his injuries. He just, there's just no way. So he definitely died. He didn't swoon and then come back. That leads us to our next one. We're really grasping at straws at this point. Yeah, this other one, that possibly the apostles were just hallucinating Jesus' resurrection. Which there's a lot of issues with this one, too. (laughs) I mean, how many people would need to have the exact same hallucination in order for this to ring true. Right. If you talk to any self-respecting psychologist, hallucinations are real. People do hallucinate. Uh, Oftentimes when they're in distress, that will happen. Uh, When they're experiencing some kind of trauma, it can happen. And that would certainly be the apostles, right? They were experiencing a trauma. They were Mm -hmm. distressed. So it makes sense that, you know, maybe one of them hallucinated it doesn't make sense that 12 people hallucinated the same hallucination at the same time. Like there's just no precedent for us to say that that is a plausible possibility. Well, and it wouldn't even just be the 12. Exactly. Because after Jesus's resurrection, we have record of him appearing to over 500 people. And so it would need to be the 12 plus all of the other people that he appeared to. So, over 500 plus people would need to have the exact same hallucination. 
which is not likely <laughs> or impossible. Right. And Paul talked about that group of 500 in 1 Corinthians 15, I believe it's in verse 6. He talks about Jesus uh, appearing before 500 people at one time. And he mentions that, you know, a lot of those people are still alive today. He was writing that letter to the church in Corinth about 20 years after the fact, maybe 20, 25 years after mm, the event itself. And um, most scholars will agree with that date, that dating of that letter to uh, the 50s AD. And so Paul is basically saying like, hey, some of these people have died, have passed, passed away at this point, but many of those 500 are still alive. And so he's offering that as proof positive. Mm-hmm. There's all these people that saw it. You can't discredit, you know, literally hundreds of people as eyewitnesses for an event that took place. And 500 people don't have mass hallucination. There's just no precedent for that. We have no other example of that happening. And, and so it's just not a viable option. Yeah. And so that leaves us with the sixth (laughs) explanation of the historical data that we have. And that is that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Yeah. So based on the facts that we have, that we can definitely confirm through historical means that Jesus was a real person who lived in Israel, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, that shortly after he was crucified, there was a group of people who claimed that he had bodily risen from the dead and started preaching about him, and that those people in that Jewish sect eventually turned into a worldwide movement that is now Christianity. The simplest answer that adds all of those facts together and creates a coherent narrative is that Jesus actually rose from the dead because as unlikely as it is that anybody would raise from the dead, it's the only one that actually makes sense. Yeah, I think I've heard it said before that it takes far more faith to say that he didn't raise from the dead based on the facts than it does to say that he did. Right, and so based on this, this for me is like a slam dunk because... If Jesus really rose from the dead, then he wasn't a crazy person. He wasn't just a good teacher. Then he was actually the Messiah, is the Messiah, is the Son of God, that he was truthful in everything that he said, that when he affirmed Scripture, that meant that Scripture was the divine word of God. When he said that God created the world and everything in it, that that was true. And when he said that he God created us in his image, that that was true as well. And that he's coming back and just everything that Jesus said and that he imparted to his disciples and then had his disciples teach that then became the New Testament, that the basis of all of that is in this solid fact that Jesus did raise from the dead. And you don't have to check your brain at the door to believe that. Mm. Yeah. In many ways, you're checking your brain at the door to force yourself to not believe that if you really are taking an honest look at the scholarship and the possibilities of what might have happened that one weekend in Israel 2,000 years ago. Yeah, and Paul actually tells us that everything hinges on this in 1 Corinthians 15. And so if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we're all just a bunch of fools walking around (laughs) claiming this. Walking around, being <laughs> foolish. 
And that really we like we shouldn't be claiming we're Christians. Like Christianity shouldn't exist if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Because again, everything hinges on this being true because of all of the claims that Jesus made during his ministry and all the claims that scripture makes even prior to Jesus having come in the flesh to the earth. (laughs) Yeah. And so this to me is like the crux. Now there's a lot of other questions that you might have about apologetics that uh, definitely are worth uh, studying and looking into, I mean, there's a lot of great resources out there. I think of uh, Stand to Reason is one good one that I think of, where if you have questions about how do you defend, you know, the biblical narrative with regard to creation, whether you're young earth or old earth, there's apologetics that that can help you with that. Uh, We mentioned uh, the scriptures. We actually have uh, podcasts, I think it's podcasts 15 and 16, uh, of this podcast, those episodes, we talked about how we can trust that the Bible that we have now was the Bible that was written then, and how have a really good memory and what books uh, actually got in there and textual mm-hmm. criticism. And so, when Jesus said that the the Bible is uh, the Word of God, the Old Testament was the Word of God, and I don't think there's not a direct quote that he said that, but he referenced it as the authoritative scriptures. How do we know? that what he was reading is what we're reading and how do we know that what he guided in the new testament is what we had there there's a lot of apologetics that you can do around that and that's important as well but but even with all of that i feel like this is the linchpin because if this doesn't make any sense then like paul said then we're above all people to to be most pitied mm-hmm. and we should you know just give up the whole charade but if since this is true, then really we can uh, move forward from a place of very strong belief in who Jesus is. And that doesn't take away all of our questions, but it does give us that solid foundation upon which we can move forward. And kind of as an addendum to last week's episode on deconstruction, where we're talking about how you need that f- firm foundation mm-hmm. as you look at the craziness and you start questioning, is this the way we should be doing church? What are the core beliefs that Christians should have? Is there better ways to move forward on this? What do we need to get rid of as modern Christians and deconstruct? You can do that without walking away from Jesus. Right. And you have to do that without walking away from Jesus. Mm-hmm. And the things that were important to Jesus, because if he is who he says he is, then we go with what he says because if somebody can mm-hmm. predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off, then you go with whatever that guy says. Yeah. And so with all of that in mind, Paul had given us a final encouragement, which we actually want to pass along to you. And it's in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Boom. That is like probably one of my favorite verses Mm. in the entire Bible. And it comes at the end of this chapter that Paul is talking about the resurrection. He says Jesus really rose. And he says that that resurrection actually has implications 
for a future resurrection of our own bodies. That our our bodies are wasting away, but we are going to be raised to new life. That God is going to redeem our physical bodies in this physical creation. And so basically, as we look ahead to that, that doesn't cause us to sit on our thumbs. That doesn't cause us to not try and, and make anything better. It, it actually encourages us to be steadfast, yeah. immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, always pushing forward, always pushing forward to make things better, always pushing forward to be more faithful as individuals and as a group to be a light in the world because no matter what we're doing that's good, it may feel like it's difficult and you're just like trying to boil the ocean. <laughs> but he promises that it is not in vain. In vain. Yeah. And so we want to leave that encouragement with you that as you move forward, you are not laboring in vain, but it is all meaningful. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. Also be sure to head over to our website, hernhim.com, and you can get show notes for this episode, read our blogs, and other helpful resources. We'd also love to hear from you, so you can email us at herandhimblog at gmail.com. Thanks again, and we will see you next time. Now in his shows, he would say, that Pat Boone, he's so religious. I shook hands with that boy the other day. My whole right side sobered up. <laughs> and and I would repeat that in my act, and I said, you know, it did. And then I'd go ahead and sing my song. Pat Boone shares some of his incredible life story on The Walk, a podcast for worshipers. Join us weekly to hear conversations and devotionals from the artists of the church. The Walk can be found on lifeaudio.com, worshipleader.com, or your favorite podcast platform.